Well, hey, Reckless, we are in week three of our series called We Are Reckless. And um, in so many ways, this is a vision series. This is what we want to be known for. This is what we want, how we want to be defined by. Like when people say reckless, it means something. It's not just the name of a service. It's not just a Sunday night thing. But rather, reckless is a part of like who we are. All right, and so what we've kind of said over the last couple of weeks is um, like we're, we're trying to help you guys like determine like this is the type of ministry that, that encourages you, that uplifts you, that challenges you to the point that you feel like, man, I, I can't miss. Like, man, I got homework or I procrastinated and pushed off homework, right? Like you do, all right? Like we all do or did. Um, and you're like, man, I got this thing or man, you know, mom and dad don't want to take me, or I've got this excuse or this reason why I couldn't come, but I got to be there tonight. Like in so many ways, you feel like you find life with the people in this room. And so that's kind of what we want Reckless to be, where you can't miss it. It's the highlight of your week. And so last week we talked about purpose. And so we said that we exist to be known by God and to know God. That our purpose of why we're on this earth is to live in a relationship with the creator of the universe. That that's why we're here. And so our purpose is lived out when we live in that relationship that we were created for. And so to be reckless means that we are people who fully embrace our God-given purpose. To be known by God and to know him. Not that we just know that is the answer. Not that even just that we believe it, but that we live it out. Like Jesus is the only thing that matters. And we can get sucked into all of these different things, but at the end, like we're reminding ourselves and we recenter our life around the reality that our purpose is found in him. That we were meant to exist in relationship with our creator. And that that becomes the thing that matters more than anything else. Now, it's no accident, as we said last week, it's no accident that our greatest desire, which is to be known and loved, fits in with the purpose that God has created us for, to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe where we know him and we are known by him. So it's not a coincidence that those two two things align or that those two things match up perfectly. Like that's how God made us so that we could find our biggest need being met by our creator. And so that's what we were made for. But what we talked about last week is that the issue, the problem is sin. That sin has gotten in the way and that sin has separated us from God. And because that sin has created this this divide or this chasm between us and God, it has caused us to become enemies of God. Like the people that were created to be in a relationship with him, the the damage that sin does is that it causes him to look at us as his enemies. Even though he loves us and wants that relationship, sin has damaged that permanently and destroyed that and made that relationship with him impossible. But then Jesus stepped in and he paid for our sins with his own life that he gave up his life, that he took on the punishment for our sins so that sin could be forgiven, so they could be removed from the picture, so that you and I could be reconnected back to God. And you guys, that's the gospel. 
Like that's the good news of the gospel. And so if any of us come to a place in our life where we put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, where we just come to a place where we realize, God, I understand I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you. There's nothing I can do on my own to fix it. And I just admit that and own up to that. But God, I believe that you gave up your life for me, that you made it possible through Jesus' death for me to be made right with you. And I want to be made right with you. And I'm just coming to you in faith, not trying to earn it, not trying to deserve something because I couldn't. I'm just accepting what you have done for me. And so the beautiful thing of what takes place is that that relationship that once was impossible because of sin has now been removed from the picture. That sin has been removed from the picture and that relationship has been restored. And you and I can be made right with God. We can be, as we talked about, sons and daughters of God. That we can live in relationship with God as our Father, as our Creator, as our Savior and Lord. And we get to experience that relationship that we were made for. So that's kind of where, what we talked about last week. Now tonight, we're going to kind of build on that a little bit or take it maybe a little bit further. This whole idea or this whole concept of being known, we're going to kind of take that a little bit further over the next few minutes. Because I believe God has given us something powerful to help us, to benefit us, that if we do it right, it will make sure that we experience what it looks like to be known and loved. All right, now we can screw it up and we can do it wrong or we can really experience the beauty of what God has made for us to help further our ability to experience what it looks like to be known and loved. You guys know what it is? Throw something out. Throw a dart. And don't say Jesus, although most of the time that's the right answer. What's God given us? Okay, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, prayer. Love all these Christian answers. These are good. Community. All right, more specific. Dive in a little bit deeper with it. Jesus. All right, you're all over it. You're all around it. All right, he's given us God's family. He's given us the church. Well, you didn't say it loud enough. I didn't hear you. Next time, scream it. Stand on the top of your, ch- on your chair and scream it. So he's given us God's family or the church to help us, to help us be further known and loved, for us to experience the depths of relationship and community that we were meant to experience, okay? Now, we, t- we thought the word family, and that can be an interesting topic, right? Like family's a little bit crazy, depending on who you talk to. All right, we all have a family, right? And maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, depending on what your family looks like. Um, For some of you, just the word family is making you like, you know, kind of twitch a little bit. You're like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. You're starting talking about my family. I'm I'm going to get up and leave. And some of them already are. Um, So I'm not sure what you think of when you think of family. Maybe it's good thoughts, maybe it's bad thoughts. If I were to act like, kind of go around the room and say, hey, what do you think about your family? Like, it would be interesting, right? If you were just honest about, hey, here's my family. And there'd be some good stuff. And you'd be like, oh, that's cool. And some other people would be like, man, my family sucks. It's so messed up or whatever. So like the, when we start talking about family, it can be a little bit odd and a little bit weird and a little bit uncomfortable because we naturally look at family through the lens of our own earthly family. And that can be a bad thing if what we see in our family a lot of times is bad. 
So here are two things though that I believe about family. Okay, if you wanna write these down, you can. The first thing is that your family knows you better than anyone else. All right, for the most part. All right, now stay with me here. Your family knows the real you. They see you at home, right? When you're in a mood, who sees that more than anybody else? Your family does, right? You take it out on mom, you take it out on dad, you take it out on your sibling. They see that, right? And then all of a sudden you pick up the phone, you're like, hey, how's it going? It's so good to see you. You know, but where the phone hangs up or when the door's, you know, nobody, your friend's not at the door, it's like, it may be a little bit different. Right? Your family sees you at your best, but your family also sees you at your worst. Now, I've got two of my kids in this room, all right? And so this is a little bit weird for me, in all honesty. High school pastor now, like, I've got my own kids are now high school students. <laughs> and that's one of them. The other one's hiding under her chair up here because she's humiliated. Um, so I know they, they probably get, like, if you were to ask them, hey, what's it like to be a Hampton, right? And you would probably get all kinds of interesting things. Don't, please don't ask them that. Uh, you'll put them on the spot, and that'll be weird, and then I'll look like an idiot. But if you ask them that, like, you might get some good things, and you might get some bad things. And I don't know if, I don't, to help kind of, like, remove, I don't know if there's a facade, like, hey, you know, your dad's like the high school pastor. He, like, it just must be like, you know, he's like preaching all day and you just kind of walk around like the whole family is just like this all the time. Or like I walk around on a cloud and like everything's just perfect. And I will promise you 125 million percent that that is not the case. That in so many ways, we're an, a normal family. We've got some good things and we've got some junk. We're a typical family. And I'm starting to realize too, like how much more difficult this whole teenage thing is when they're in my own house, all right? And they're probably like, it's, this is a whole lot harder when your dad's a high school pastor, right? I mean, like it, there's some give and take there. Like it can be a, a challenge. And so the reality is my kids have seen me at my best in moments, but they've also seen me at my worst. They've seen the moments of frustration. They've see, heard the moments of anger or they've seen the mistakes that I've made more than anybody else has seen that. And that's the thing about family. Your family has seen those moments from you too. So our family knows us better than anyone else. That's the first thing. The second thing is that you represent your family wherever you go. You represent your family wherever you go. So unless you change your last name, you represent your family everywhere. Right? If it's Smith, if it's Jones, if it's Hopkins, if it's whatever, whatever it is, all right? Your last name, you represent that last name. And that, that's more than just you. When you, somebody asks your name and you give the last name and all of a sudden they go, oh, how many of you guys have, you're known by who your sibling was, right? So when you throw out that last name, it's like, oh, you're so-and-so's brother or sister. And then therefore, automatic, like in their mind, they know who you are. Right? It's all based on whether it's the good or the bad or the ugly of whatever sibling you had. Or you mention your last name, they go, oh, your mom or your dad is so-and-so, right? So our name represents something more than just ourself, right? When you say your last name, sometimes it immediately puts a label on you. And some of that can be very unfair, but the decisions that you make 
and the way that you live reflect either positively or negatively on the rest of your family. Now, I'll give you an example because he likes to uh, get the attention. So here you go, buddy. Here's your, here's, your, here's your moment. I didn't tell him that this was coming. So years ago, all right, Jad was, was like maybe three or four. All right, we were living up in Nashville at the time. And our house up in Nashville was on a corner lot. And so the kids, we had like a swing set in the backyard and the kids would go out in the backyard and they would play or whatever. So one day Carson comes in and she goes, hey, dad, Jad's pooping in the side of the yard. And I'm like, what? And she goes, yeah, he's, he's over on the side of the house pooping. So I walk around the side of the house and right over there by the AC unit, right like 20 feet from the road where cars are going up and down this, this street. And I just see what I'm like, bro, did, did, did all of this come out of you? Like in one, in one stop, like that all came out. Like it was impressive in some ways. Like I'm like, is it? Have you not pooped in like a month? Like it was, it was insane. And he's like three or four years old. And, and so after I got kind of past that moment of like just being really impressed with the fact that that came out of him. And I'm like, dude, like you're 20 feet from the road right here. What made you think that you could just drop your pants right here and just poop? You're closer to the bathroom in the house than for you to come around the side of the house and do what you did right here. And he's just like, you know, he's three, he's four. He's like, what is he going to do? And so he just laughs and kind of runs off. And I'm cleaning up his poop in the side of the yard and waving to neighbors. And they're all driving by going, oh, that's the house. And part of the conversation was like, man, how many cars drove by while you're, you know, dropping your pants in the, by the side of the house? And they're going, man, look, at there's the Hampton kid just pooping in the side of the yard. Like, like that says something about our family. Now, a lot of moments are much more serious than whether or not you poop in the side of the, of the yard for neighbors to walk by. A lot of decisions that we make day in and day out, they impact not just us, but they reflect on, our, on the family that we're a part of. Now, I believe those two things are also true about being part of God's family. So if you want to walk it backwards, we represent God's family. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus, if we claim to be a Christian, we represent Jesus everywhere we go. And the way that we live our lives and the decisions that we make either reflect positively on every other Christian or it gives the world around a bad taste based on, well, if all Christians must act like he or she's acting or that must be what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It also reflects on us as a church, like people that know you, that go, you go to Westerns and then they watch how you live your life. What does it say about your church family? What does it say about Reckless for the students that you go to school with every day that know, oh, you're, you, you're a part of that high school ministry, Reckless. And then they watch the way that you live and that determines what we're all about just simply by what they see in your life. So you represent your family, God's family, everywhere you go, and it matters the decisions that you make. But our church family should also know us 
better than other people do. Like we shouldn't have our walls up. We shouldn't be fake. We shouldn't have this facade in for, for the people in this room or in our small groups. Like what I, here's what I would say. Some of the deepest, most life-changing relationships we have should be in this room. Let me say that again. Some of the deepest, most life-changing relationships we have should be with the people in this room. And so my question to you is, is that true of you? Is that true of you? Now here's one of the problems when, when we're talking about relationships and connections and community and being known with other people in a room like this. Here's the reason why I, I think some of you can't say that some of the deepest relationships, most life-giving relationships are with the other people in this room. Because often God's family can be just as divided as the people who aren't in God's family. Right, I mean, if you were to look at the people outside this building, oftentimes they don't, it doesn't look all that different when it comes to relationships. There's the same dysfunction, there's the same issues, there's the same conflict, there's the same division, there's all these different things. We fight and we quarrel and we judge and we cut people off sometimes as easily in this room as what we see outside of here. And so when people get a, a sense of relationships and what community looks like at a place like Reckless, I wonder how differently do, does the picture look than what they see in other parts of their life. See, oftentimes it's not all that different. And that's really the opposite of the way that it should be. See, in fact, in, in Ephesians chapter two, the apostle Paul talks about what relationships should look like and how Jesus ultimately came as part of what he accomplished on the cross was to eliminate disunity. And so if you guys have your Bibles, I wanna look at a couple verses for just a minute. Start in Ephesians 2 verses 14. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Now there's some powerful stuff that, that the Apostle Paul is saying in these verses. He's saying what Christ has done, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, all right? You wanna talk about disunity and people that couldn't get along? Like that's Jews and Gentiles. So they oftentimes did not like each other. Jews looked down their noses at a lot of Gentiles and like the Gentiles looked at the Jewish people as like weird, like this like sect, kind of like strange, weird people group. And so there was kind of this division, like they both looked at each other in a negative way a lot of times. It's like Paulding and Cobb County, right? Am I right? No? No comment. I got no comment. All right. 
only a whole lot worse. But here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, the cross of Christ brought unity to two groups of people who for a long period of time did not see eye to eye. There was no unity. But what the cross did, what Jesus did is through his death on the cross, he brought the two groups together and formed one people group. He tore down the walls of division, the walls of hostility. And so now it's no longer about, well, you're a Jew and you're a Gentile. It was no longer about that. It's like, no, we're one in Christ. And I wonder for us how often the wall of hostility that Jesus has torn down through the cross, how often do we put that thing back up? Because of our own, the way that we view other people who are different from us. And if we belong to Jesus, at the end we go, man, there's so many differences, so many things that make us different. But man, what, un what united, unites us together, what unifies us together as, the f as followers of Jesus is Jesus, is what he's done for us. And so even though, yeah, there's all these other things that make us different, but all those other things are secondary because what unifies us together is what matters most. And so that's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2. That's the way that we ought to look at the family of God as people who are unified together by the thing that matters more than anything else. Then he continues in verse 19. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. See, I think what that means for us as a, a room full of people as reckless is we used to be strangers. We used to be people that were disunified and disconnected and so many things separated us and divided us and made us different. And we highlighted those things and we focused on all the stuff that made us different, all the things, all the areas in which we didn't see eye to eye. But when Jesus steps in, all of that other stuff becomes secondary. And the beautiful thing about the church of God, about God's family is People on the outside should be able to look at a room full of followers of Jesus and go, man, I don't get it. How could there be a room full of people who are so, have so many differences, so many things that make him unique, so many different groups of people, and yet when you watch them come together, there's just this beautiful picture of unity. But see, only Jesus could do that. And only the family of God can live that out. And we know this, right? I mean, you go outside these walls, you look through the halls of the school or wherever, whatever pocket of the culture you look, and it's like groups of people, pockets of like so many different things that just separate and divide people. But the way that it should look when you come into the church, it's like, man, but all of that stuff falls by the wayside because look at what Jesus has done. And we now are unified together because we belong to him. 
See, if we get that right, man, that would change everything. For people that walk into this room and go, man, I, I, gotta, be, I gotta be a part of this. I, got, I gotta figure out what the secret is. Like how this room full of people could be so unified together when they have so many things that make them different. Now that's what makes our groups so important. Our small groups, it's not just about in this room because this is a large group of people and we'll never all get to know each other. But that's why we divide into groups. That's why we say groups are the most important thing we do because that's a chance for us to begin to live out some of these things that Paul's talking about. And so our desire is to get every single one of you connected into a group. So it's about creating these environments where every single one of you is known and loved. Where you don't have to put up the wall. You don't have to pretend like you have it all together. You found your group of people where you are unified together and you may have a ton of things that make you different. And yet when you come into that room or into that area of the church or when you're together, wherever that may be, there's just a beautiful thing that takes place. Where you're like, man, I got your back and I'm gonna fight for you and I'm gonna guard you and I'm gonna encourage you and I'm gonna protect you. There's just a beautiful picture of unity together. So I wanna take a few minutes and just kind of talk about our groups because there's some things that we're gonna do that are a little bit different this year, okay? So we're gonna... This year, we're going to call our groups um, on Sunday night connection groups. Okay, so it's not just small groups. It's not just groups. It's something specific. We're calling them connection groups. Okay, now let me give a little bit of, of um, kind of description of what this looks like. So these are what we would call our, our groups. These are connection groups that happen immediately after the service on Sunday nights. So any of you guys that have been a part of Reckless or in Revolution last year, then that's when we break into our groups, wherever that is throughout the, the church, these are now called our connection groups, okay? So that's the language we're gonna use. And so the idea behind those groups is you've got one, hopefully two leaders in each group. That's the goal is to have a leader and a co-leader. And up to, it could be up to 25 students. All right, now it could be a lot smaller than that. You may have four or five students in, in the room, but it could be as large as 25 students. Now, the primary goal of these connection groups, it may be a little bit different than what you're used to. The reason we call them connection groups is because the primary goal is about connections and relationships. It's about connections and relationships. It's about growing in relationship with each other, which is not something that happens automatically, right? As beautiful as that would be, it just doesn't. Like it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of focus and effort to be able to build relationships and connections and where trust is earned, where you're able to look around the circle and go, man, I trust the people and I love the people that are in this group. They know me and I know them. And so the goal every single week is to give you an hour, all right, small group leaders, stop laughing, is to give you an hour so ideally, we, we have an hour service and then we break for an hour of groups, all right? But it could be anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, not 30 minutes like we've had in the past. Those, those days are gone. They're, in, they're yesteryear. Um, 
So half of that time, if we give you an hour in your group or 45 minutes or whatever it may, may be, half of that time is meant to be discussion around what we're talking about in here. All right? It's a chance for you guys to have spiritual conversations. So now it's going to be way scaled back from what we've had in past years. It may not be six or seven questions. That's not the, the focus for the entire time, but it is a portion of it. Hey, what'd you guys think? What'd you wrestle with? Dive in for a few minutes and kind of talk about that. So that's half the time is just discussion around what we talk about in here. The other half of that is focused on connection. It's focused on building relationships. And that can look a lot of different ways based on the group. So you, you guys have in this space to be able to talk about your life and what's going on. Hey, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what's going on in my life. Or you're talking about things, you're, you're dealing with prayer requests or stuff that's just going on in your everyday life or things that you're asking the rest of your group to pray for. We're create, it may be creating fun moments, right? Where, whether it's icebreakers for you to get a, a chance to get to know the other students in the group, to get to know the group as a whole, or even creating fun moments where you're playing a game together or you're hanging out and having, having kind of a, a fun um, interactive type moment together. It may be you, you group of guys or even ladies going up and shoot basketball for half of the group time or you may be sitting around the table, grab a board game and you're sitting around the table and playing a board game together. Or it may be coming out here and playing one of the games that we've got on the atrium. But the goal is for you guys to, to build intentional time, not just like, all right, guys, you're dismissed and you guys just kind of scatter. But rather, hey guys, let's have intentional moments around us just getting to know each other. And that can look different. Like if you guys want to dive in deeper and have the rest of the time be around the discussion or, you know, you guys are crying together or like whatever that, it can look totally different based on the group. But the uh, half of the group is around discussion and half of the group is around building relationships so that trust is earned. Because here's the thing. This is the perfect environment for anyone, no matter where you are in your faith. So everyone that comes in, we want to get everybody in the group. Not everyone may want to grow in their faith, but everyone wants to be known and loved. And so connection groups are the best place for you to be in a room with people that you're going to make sure that you're known and loved, that they're going to have your back and you're building those types of relationships. Now, as we do that, I want to give, like, how do we know that we're hitting the mark on these groups this year? Like, how do I know that Whatever group you step into starting tonight, how do you know that that group is healthy? How do you know that you're hitting the mark? I want to give you just a couple of things here, and you guys can talk about these a little bit more in your group. So here's just some key questions that you can ask just all year long, where you're going, is this group healthy? Are we where we need to be in terms of connection and relationship and trust together? So here's the first thing. How do we know our group is healthy? First thing, have you established values to guide your group? You're not just showing up in a room and just like, hey guys, so what do we want to do? Right? And you're just sitting around like just kind of figuring it out on the fly. Like you come into that group and you have at some point during the year, you've had an opportunity or moment to say, hey guys, what are the things that we want to be about this year in this group? What are those values that we want to hold on to? What are those things that we in this group want to be known for, that for students that walk in here, like it helps identify our group. These are things that we're, these are values that we're going to fight for together. 
And when we get off track, this is the, these things are going to help guide us back to making sure that we are shooting at the target that we're meant to be shooting at. That we're accomplishing ultimately what God wants us to accomplish with this group. So if you had a moment where you as a group have established values to help guide that group. The second thing, does your group welcome new students or resist new students? Now, I'm not gonna lie. When we have, every week we have our after party and this, this is the opportunity for new students who are here to come in rather than going immediately to a group because it gives me a chance to get to know them. There's some specific things that we do um, kind of share some things with them. And the goal is to help figure out the right group for them. And almost every week, like I'm one of the ones that's kind of walking a new student to a group. And I'll just be honest, like over the years, we have had a serious like retention problem. Last year, we had over 60 students that came just one time to Reckless. Which to me is like, man, that's just, like that, that's heartbreaking to me. We had 60 different students who came one time and went, man, I don't really like this. And they, and they peaced out and never showed up again. And maybe it's because they thought I was terrible, right? Or they didn't like the worship. But most of the time we know that the main, number one reason a student does come back is because they don't connect. And so our greatest tool to help students connect is these small groups. And sometimes I watch as I bring a new student into a group and like, hey guys, this is, you know, Samantha or whatever. And, and I'll watch some of the groups, just their reaction. Sometimes they'll be like, you know, they just stare awkwardly, like the whole group. Did. And then the student's just like, you know, it's just weird and awkward. And I'm like, hello, like this is a new student. And, and then I see other, other times where the leader or other students are like, hey, come on in, like grab a chair. And man, it's so good to meet you. And, and they just create like a welcoming environment for new students to come in. Is your group the group that resists new students when they come in or welcomes new students when they come in? Here's the third thing. Do you trust each other to share what's really going on? Like, do you share the, the 10%, so to speak, where most of us will share like 90%, like, all right, here's kind of where I'm at. But like, we hold the 10% back and like, man, I, I don't let anybody know about this. Or maybe the only thing you're willing to share because a lack of trust in that group is the 10% and you withhold the 90% because you're like, I don't trust these people. Like, I'm not sure that this room full of, of people have my back and that they're not gonna share that with other people, right? Which brings us to the next thing. Is your group a safe place or are things shared with those outside of the group? Is your group a safe place? where if you're gonna be vulnerable and honest and open about the things that you're dealing with, where you can put the walls down and go, hey guys, here's what I'm dealing with and I need you guys to have my back. I need you to be in the mess with me. And the rest of your group's like, we got you. And then by the time the next day of school arrives, it's like, hey, I heard about so-and-so and like they said this last night in group and all of a sudden it's just kind of spread throughout the school. Is that your group? Or is your group a safe place where, hey, no matter what's shared in this group, we're gonna protect you and we're not gonna go and share that with other people outside of this group. That'll help determine whether your group is healthy or not. Here's the fifth thing. Is there consistency in attendance and participation? Does it feel like it's a revolving door where 
You know, it's hard to gain any kind of like relationship and trust if it just feels like students are kind of like one week you got two students, the next week there's eight, the next week there's like six, but they're a different six. And it just feels like there's no consistency within the students that are in that group. And I just, I, let, me, let me just challenge you for just a minute because I think this is important. You need to be here as often as you can. And look, I get it. You're a high school student. There's a crap ton that you've got going on. And there's a million different reasons why you, you don't have to show up here on a Sunday night. But my challenge to you is that if you're going to experience the level of relationship and life that I think you, we want you to experience, you can't show up once every six weeks. You can't be here once a semester. You can't show up two times and then you disappear and fall off the map. And the rest of the group's like, yeah, I don't know where they are because they haven't been here since like October. But where there's just consistency with the attendance every single week and, and the participation in the group. And then here's the last thing. Is your leader doing all the work or does it feel like you guys collectively share ownership of that group? Because I, I just want to tell you, like, it's, it's not meant to be your leader's group. It's meant to be all of yours. But if it feels like the leader's always the one trying to like, hey, guys, don't forget, we, you got to come tonight. Or, hey, who's coming? It feels like the leader's doing all the work or the leader's asking all the questions. And then the leader's answering their own questions because you guys just stare at the leader like, I'm not going to talk right now. And it just feels like those groups where it's like the leader's doing all of the work and you guys are just in there like, this is, I, I'm, I'm just here. But how much different is it if you guys all feel the ownership of that? Like, this is our thing. And my participation and my ownership in this group is going to help drive the group forward. And so you're not dependent on the leader to do everything. You're, you're stepping in that going, hey, how can I have ownership of this? How can I make this group better? How can I bring the gifts and the talents and the things that God's given me? And all of you collectively do that to say, we're all in this together to make this group as good as it can possibly be. See, maybe if that just became kind of the, the, the focus, then maybe we just experience a different level and depth of relationships. Now, Here's, here's discipleship groups. Here's the other group that we're gonna launch this year. Brand new, we've not done this before. So we've got connection groups that happen on Sunday night. And then we're gonna launch this year a different type of group called discipleship groups, or you may hear them called D groups. Now these are groups that are gonna be launched out of the connection groups that happen on Sunday night. Okay, and these groups are meant to be a whole lot smaller than what takes place on a Sunday night. So it's one leader and it's two or four students that are all in that connection group on Sunday night. And the primary goal of this group, just like the name says, is discipleship. The goal is to dive deeper in your faith, to grow together in your relationship with Jesus, to challenge each other, to spur each other on. And so the focus around these groups is around discussing a Bible reading plan together. You guys are gonna be diving into God's word in these discipleship groups. There's gonna be a reading plan. You guys, if you're in that discipleship group, you'll, there'll be reading that you'll do all week long where you're diving in on your own during the week into God's word. And then you guys meet together once a week for about an hour and you talk about it. Part of the thing that you do is you're discussing 
hey, what, what did you, what'd you read about this week in our reading? And you're talking about it together. And then there's questions around, you're holding each other accountable, not just to read what you were supposed to read that week, but you're holding each other accountable in the areas of life, in your struggles, in the areas of sin, in the things that you're dealing with. Like you guys all know about those things and you're going, hey, how are you doing in that struggle? And you're holding each other accountable and you're asking the tough questions and you're encouraging each other and fighting for each other and with each other. And then you're praying together so that you guys can live out your faith together. Now, this is a much bigger commitment, all right? Sunday night, just show up, right? You're in here and then you go into connection group and obviously you're leaning in and you're making it better. But the discipleship group's like, there's gonna be a much bigger commitment to that. It's not in a replacement of you coming on Sunday night. It's in addition to, it's something extra that you're adding because you have a desire to grow deeper in your faith and you want to be held accountable in that with a group of people in your, in your connection group. Now, what we're gonna do is there's gonna be just select groups. We're gonna kind of pilot these um, this fall starting in September with just some of the existing groups over the last couple of years and just a, a few students from, the, from those groups. But then we're gonna open up discipleship groups for, the, for any of you that wanna sign up and commit to it. Um, it'll be in November and we'll start them in January. And we're gonna read through the New Testament over that next year. And it's gonna be something that all of you guys are gonna be a part of. But I'm excited about this because it, it, it gives us an opportunity. It gives us a, a kind of a stepping stone or a, a, an ease into it for new students who show up or students who may not be, you know, necessarily want to grow in their faith, but they're going to find community and they're going to find a place to be known and loved. And then for you guys that want to dive deeper in your faith in specific ways, then you're going to have a chance to do that as part of these discipleship groups. So here's our main point for us tonight as we talk about community. We are reckless, a family who is committed to know each other and to serve each other. See, our groups this year are gonna take a lot of work and commitment for all of us in order for them to be life-giving, like what I think God desires for, for these groups to be a part, for us to experience the level of community that God has designed his church to be, to be a reflection of his love for us and for us to know each other and a place to be known and be loved in these walls of this church. That's our desire and for all of you guys to lean into that. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for the fact that we get a chance to grow in relationship with each other this year. God, thank you that we get a chance to be known and loved and to know you in that relationship that matters more than anything else. But God, that you've given us your church God, to know that we're not on our own, like trying to live out our faith, but God, to be able to be supported and to know a group of people and to be known in that way, to encourage each other, to fight for each other and to push each other forward to be the people that you've called us to be. God, I pray that this would not just be something that we talk about, but God, that this would be life-giving this year for students who are in this room who are gonna step into these groups this year. And we pray that you would help us to grow in our walk with you and our relationships with each other as a result of that. In Jesus' name, amen.